Hello and welcome to the Ghibli Rewatch series of the Overly Animated Podcast, where we'll be going through every Studio Ghibli movie chronologically from the beginning. I'm Dylan Heisen, and today I'm joined by Michelle Ander. Hello. And Delaney Stovall. Hey, y'all. Yes, the Ghibli Rewatch series. Join us in rewatching or watching for the first time all the Studio Ghibli movies now that they're available for streaming on HBO Max in the United States and Netflix in most of the rest of the world. Uh, new podcast up every Wednesday as we go through the whole Ghibli catalog chronologically. Find all our contact information, everything about our normal podcast at overlyanimated.com. I'm a Ghibli expert and will be joined by people with a variety of Ghibli experience here. And today is only yesterday. Uh, full, we'll be getting into spoilers for this entire movie. Make sure you have seen only yesterday before you continue listening into this podcast. Only minor or vague spoilers for other Ghibli movies, uh, we'll discuss. Um, and we'll be talking about, uh, both the sub and dubs. So watch whatever, uh, for this, for this movie and then come and back and listen to only yesterday. So getting into only yesterday, this is a 1991 film from director Isao Takahata. Um, it is based on a manga by, uh, Hotaru Okamoto and Yuko Tone, which, uh, interestingly, the manga only features the younger Taiko scenes. So the childhood, the 10-year-old Taiko scenes are what the manga's about. Takahata added that layer of adult Taiko reminiscing on her younger self to uh, make the film. Um, I think surprisingly to me, this was a big success in Japan when it came out and was the highest grossing film of 1991 in Japan. Yeah, take that, other movies. Other movies in 1991. But like, mm-hmm. contrast that with the fact that this was the last Studio Ghibli major feature to get an English dub. Uh, they had so little confidence in its uh, marketability <laughs> in the United States, despite the fact that it was the highest grossing Japan movie that year. Um, only got a dub in 2016, a few years ago. Uh, that was kind of a big deal when it happened, and so I'm glad that people are finally seeing this movie. Uh, this movie is striking for its juxtaposition of these two time periods in Taiko's life, which are animated in different styles. Uh, this is one of my personal favorites, and I think uh, very popular among kind of like our, our, our staff and group. So I'm excited to get into Only Yesterday. And Michelle, um, experienced Ghibli viewer, what's your history with Only Yesterday? And what do you think of this movie? So this is one of those movies that I tried to watch when I was in my like teen years. And it was absolutely impossible to illegally find on the internet. Yes. In addition to legally from like, a red box or a blockbuster incredibly hard to track down so i think it took to like my junior year of college before i finally found a site that (laughs) had it and i watched it and i really liked it but it honestly wasn't one that i had ever seen since that one time up until this rewatch and i think it's just because like well, for one thing, like now I am 27, so I'm like her age. So, like, it feels very important. It's like, yeah, you, you do do a lot of like life thinking when you are approaching 30. You're like, well, do I want to change it all up and like go to the country? Do I like <laughs> my job? And it's fine. But I think the other reason I didn't rewatch it a lot, like I would with say Kiki or Spirited Away, is because it a lot of like the flashbacks, especially to her younger self. It's very realistic, I would presume, of, like, that time period in Japan. 
but it's 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 not super fun. I mean, a lot of it is her learning kind of tough lessons about like, oh, like her family can't afford to like go to the country like all her friends are like, oh, she can't act in that high school play because, you know, dad said no and he's the head of the household. It's like that kind of stuff that's so, so grounded in reality that's like, I really enjoy watching it, but it's like not super escapist in a way that's like incredibly fun. So I think like for what it is, like it's an amazing movie. And I feel like the older I get, the more I'm going to appreciate it. But it is definitely a different flavor from, say, a Miyazaki movie for sure. Yeah, I think and I think that's a good point. We'll get into uh, this movie and how it uh, is is an example of the differences between kind of a Takahata movie and a Miyazaki movie. Um, Delaney, you are newer to some of these Ghibli movies, and I believe you just watched only yesterday for the first time. So tell us what you think. Yeah, so yeah, just finished it. I've never seen it before. Um, I was definitely not prepared for this movie in that based on all of the other Studio Ghibli movies I've seen, which are, I think so far, every single one of them has been Miyazaki. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't prepared for this movie, which is very different um, tonally. And also um, the, the stark difference in the animation styles um, was also something jarring. It took me a little bit in the beginning of the movie to figure, I think mainly because I was, I was, I've been watching the subbed. I've been watching all the studio Ghibli movies in Japanese. So it took me a minute because, you know, I don't know all the characters yet to figure out that it was the same character, who oh, was yeah. a child and then also an adult <laughs> because it was unclear because like, I was like, I don't know who any of these people are anyway. So it took me a little bit, not, not too long, but I was like, okay, I understand what's happening now. And then um, I think the premise of the movie is really interesting and how narrative, how it's structured narratively is very interesting. I mean, I have to say this isn't like, you know, this isn't going to be my top five Ghibli movies. Like it's, you know, it was fine. And I think what hurt this movie is I watched Kiki's Delivery Service for the first time before this movie today. Mm-hmm. So I like woke up this morning and watched Kiki's Delivery Service. And I was like, this is the best movie ever. And then I watched <laughs> this movie. And like, that, I don't want to be mean to only yesterday, but... It's very much a different movie. And, you know, it's kind of one of those, you know, movies like you, you can almost make this argument about Totoro. Like it's a movie where nothing happens. Like, you know, like, and it's one of, and this, and this is the kind of movie I don't watch normally anyway. Like, I don't, you know, like you were talking about, like, you know, this is a, um, you know, people would call it perhaps a rom com. And I don't watch those movies anyway at all. So it was different for me to just, you know, I was like, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what this movie was about. So it was, it was interesting. And like, I think it was good to watch it. Like it's, you know, to, it's always good to watch every type of movie should be made into animation. They should all exist as animated movies as well. And I definitely think like narratively and like visually this movie is very interesting. Um, But I'm definitely in the middle on it because like, I was satisfied with the ending because I was about to get mad if she didn't go back to him. Because I was like, come on, like, <laughs> let's go. But I would say I will make the comment. My, fi- You know, this movie came out in 1991. Um, we were in 2020. And me and my fiance were like, is she gay? I hope she's gay. I knew the answer was she is not gay. <laughs> and so I was like, I would have infinitely enjoyed this movie more if she was gay. Because, I mean, they even have that little, like, 
the thing that kind of that I was like, what? This is interesting. Granted, you know, I also don't know how this was dubbed because I didn't watch it. But when she's talking about her sister and she like blushes when she's like looking at that poster of her like mm-hmm. favorite actress. And I was like, intriguing. So like, it's, you know, it was a good movie. Like, and I think it's another one of the things. It's from 1991, 1991 and it's depicting um, Japan in the 60s and 70s. And I mean, well, actually, I mean, closer to, I think we're, well, I mean, like the, we're in. Yeah, we got 1966 and 1982 is our two Yeah, times. and I was yeah. in the 80s. Yeah, so like, it was very 80s when we were in the 80s. But, um, so I think, you know, it's, sometimes it's hard to watch movies that are depicting things in those time periods. And I do think that impacts this film. Yeah. And it's uh, also because you don't expect them in a Miyazaki film. Like, the attitudes and some of the behaviors that occurred were shocking to me. That's true. Like, I do think we say a lot more that Miyazaki movies feel timeless, but this feels very of a certain time, which I think, like, for me is fun because it feels like a, like a historical look back into the past, you know? But it does leave you with a certainly different feeling. Yeah, we can talk about that. That's an interesting point. And you guys can maybe say ways you, you thought of that. Uh, some things Delaney brought up, but they, we did uh, get to Grave of the Fireflies already. So this is only the second non-Miyazaki movie out of the or seventh Ghibli movie, only second non-Miyazaki movie we're covering here. Um, that'll start to be a little more skewed in the other direction as we keep going. Um, yeah, Taiko, not uh, gay herself, but this do- this movie does feature uh, Studio Ghibli's first gay character in uh, ta- one of Taiko's sisters, which we'll talk about, as you mentioned, the that, Sundalini. That's canon? Uh, it's, it's unclear what canon means in this context. I, I don't know how you, else you interpret that scene, in my opinion, but uh, you guess you yeah, could like there's no, there. way. <laughs> yeah. there's no other way. Uh, yeah, I mean, which is striking, considering there's, is this Studio Ghibli's only potentially depending on how you view it explicitly portrayed gay character in its history mm-hmm. um but, i know. mean when marnie was there like we'll talk about it oh yeah well in a few <laughs> oh, months yeah. we'll get to oh, that yeah. one. Well, oh <laughs> the, yeah this we'll, this crew will come back for that movie in a few months don't yeah. worry <laughs> i am ready like as yeah. soon as this happened i was like dylan i have to be there to talk yes, about when yes. Marnie it's was the last there. one it's not All for a while same. but yeah we'll get yeah I, I i feel it um and i'm not i'm not shocked delaney didn't immediately respond super positively to this movie i mean i think that this is a uh a, a slow-paced uh very realistic slice of life mm-hmm. type movie um, so yeah, could, could, uh, we'll, we'll compare it to Kiki, but uh, for me, uh, this is uh, an all-time classic, uh, probably my favorite Takahata m- movie. Um, I really love Only Yesterday. I've always loved this movie. I mean, I'm not sure I responded as amazingly to it when I watched it um, for the first time as a teenager. I guess I had better illegal uh, sources that I found than Michelle because I was you did. Uh, but, but uh, it is it, no, I mean, there was not an official English release for many years, so it's not like. Uh, anyone should have seen it before they just didn't distribute it which is super annoying oh and i will say um taiko voiced by daisy ridley in the 2016 dub um, i missed that oh my god yeah the dub is <laughs> i did watch the dub at some point it is pretty fun um and i think uh uh he the guy is dev patel um so oh, it's, okay it's, every time every time i don't watch the dub y'all are like it has all these like 
the last one, like in Totoro, it was like, oh, it was Dakota and Elephant. And I'm like, I need to just watch what? the dub. It's extremely <laughs> irritating. Gosh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's like, what yeah, the Totoro dub's magical as the Fanning sisters as kids. But no, this is like the most recent dub. So you get like contemporary big names. So like Daisy Ridley, yeah. And Dev um, Patel. That's amazing. Patel, Why didn't yeah, I watch really the like, dub? It's a good combination. Um, no, I, in my opinion, this is especially a type of movie you should watch in, in Japanese because it, it is very like much said in Japan and about. Yeah. You know, like those are the movies I think about Japanese culture, the most movies you should definitely watch uh, subbed, but subjective, we discussed reasons why and why not. Um, I just, I, I love the juxtaposition this movie provides of the reminiscing on the past, the two different animation styles. It fascinates me. It's something I've rarely seen since. I mean, this movie is still incredibly notable in animation history. Um, the way this, the, the way this movie is, is feminist, I think is still incredibly notable and striking compared to any movie today. I think if this movie came out this year, it would be the most feminist animated release by far of the year. And same thing with Kiki. And the fact that, the you know, these two movies came out in end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the time... The times have not advanced, I guess, enough that, that, that they're still particularly notable, I think is, is striking. Um, but, uh, just, I mean, this is kind of my type of movie. I'm more into kind of slow paced, character based, realistic movies. So Takahata's movies do appeal to me a lot. Um, I totally understand if people don't connect to this as much. I do think it maybe takes a few watches. Um, I think certain scenes in this movie are some of my favorites ever, particularly the pineapple scene. Oh, Gotta talk so about the pineapple funny. scene. Oh my gosh. Um, but uh, it's, and at the ending, one thing, the ending I think has been controversial when we've discussed it in the past. We'll maybe talk about why. The ending worked really well for me this time, actually. It was like very magical. Um, so I'm, I agree. It was it interesting was how I responded to it differently. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know if I had other, other things about only but I'll, we'll, we'll talk about them as we bring them up. But, uh, just, I, I just, I mean, I mentioned it, but like the, the starting point, I don't know how much there's to say about it. This is like an, a, an adult drama for women. This movie. Yes. Yes. Oh, that is exactly true. It is what it is. That's, that's unheard of in American animation circles. Right. And even in modern anime, there's not a lot of these. Um, so, I mean, that, that's, it's, it's, it's very notable that Studio Ghibli back to back, it's two, uh, pillar directors here create these movies made kind of for women. This movie from Takata more explicitly directed at adults. Um, and, uh, I think that this is the most clear, uh, indication of Studio Ghibli's feminism on display. Um, but, uh, it's, it's definitely striking how, how they're next to each other. Um, but yeah, Michelle, how do you, how, how did that kind of shape your viewing of this movie? This kind of being this, I, have we ever talked about an adult drama aimed at women, like on, no. on this podcast on, in general? Uh, it's kind of crazy. She might be the oldest main character, like lady in the Ghibli canon, frankly, because one mm. thing that did really strike me, even when I first watched it, um, is that adult Taiko... She has cheekbones and they're very, and it's not just her, like her love interest does also, but it's like, we are, we're so used to that kind of like baby face moe anime girl who still like has all of her baby fat, like very round faced person that we aren't used to seeing like adult women that have like their faces thinned out a bit because they're adults now that have more prominent cheekbones. Like that's a sign of age and of maturity 
but that's like hardly ever an anime like period and i really really like that she has cheekbones and that they're like always there whenever she's like talking or smiling like at first it distracted me just because i was so not used to seeing that but i actually think it's a really lovely detail that shows like yeah she's she's a grown woman this is her face you know like don't be afraid of getting older. Like, it's fine. She's happy. She's, like, figuring stuff out. Yeah, I, I think um, this is going to tie into our discussion on the animation styles because you're bringing up, uh, I, I agree it's kind of like the aspect of this being an adult movie, but that they this is the realistic style of the kind mm-hmm. of pre- present of the movie. The fact that there are kind of uh, these illustrated facial muscles is a defining feature of this animation style, which is very different from the normal anime style. Uh, which is the normal anime style is more of what the flashbacks are presented in. Um, so yeah. they're kind of the flashbacks are kind of animated in maybe a cute style. Uh, I think it has like an eth- ethereal quality to it. Um, and because it's uh, not like the, her memories, so it's yeah, like her kind I think of it captures that version of the past. Yeah, yeah, and the and the modern uh, the the present, which um, is depicting 1982 so it's not present for when the movie's made but the present relative to the characters is depicting uh it has this realistic style i have a quote that can bring in more information on on them this is from studio ghibli the films of hayao miyazaki and Aiso takata by colin odell and michelle leblanc they say takata seamlessly mixes the two pasts together with taiko occasionally even meeting her younger self the two animation styles complement each other in a delicate but pronounced way and the temporal leaps are effortless the 1980s are animated in a realistic style etching out the lines on the faces of the characters or noting the perfect detail in a single head of safflower pollinated by a bee The 1960s are shown in a more stylized manner with pastel, almost diffused edges to the frames, sketched out with items of memorabilia. For the most part, Only Yesterday is so grounded in detail that, in the brief moments when it departs from realism, the effect is startling. When Mm -hmm. schoolgirl Taiko first experiences teenage romance, she is so elated that she literally walks upwards into the (laughs) Yes. I love that part. Like, for a minute, you're like, was that an animation mistake? You're like, oh, no, she's just really happy right now. Okay. Um, so that's kind of details on these, on these two different animation styles. There's also like a, a note in that quote about the realisticness of the movie, which we talked a lot about in our Grave of the Fireflies podcast. That is Takahata's signature is his intense realism, which I think this movie is absolutely, uh, it demonstrates, uh, that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think maybe I like how you tied it into the, kind of discussion where I was leading of, of the feminist aspects of the movie, but just displaying the realisticness of older characters and also just the older, the nature aimed at older women um, that Michelle was talking about is, I think it's like really well captured by the, the animation style choices. Um, yeah. Delaney, how did, um, I guess either, either aspect kind of, how did the two styles play for you? Was it jarring? And then, you know, like just this, just this being like this adult drama for women, like a uh, very, different from what we normally talk about yes um i will say the animation like i was extremely distracted by her cheekbones the entire (laughs) movie and i think and i think it was one of those and then and i don't know if y'all felt this way or not and i think it has also has to do with um how so infrequent are women of a of you know basically women who are like over 18 and under 65 don't exist in animation like they're not Mm -hmm. real so like 
to me, she looks significantly older than being 27. Like, she's not old. Uh, yeah, I, I also think she's my, my first response is always like she's in her 30s or something. But it's just because yeah. we're not used to these characters right. being drawn of. Yeah, you're right. Well, by that same token, though, I do think she was maybe drawn older on purpose in that, like, because like kind of that cultural perception, because everyone makes comments frequently throughout the movie that she's so old. I'm like, she's 27. Like, bro, <laughs> like she's not that old. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with kind of this. uh expectations of uh yes. w- of, of women reaching a certain age having to settle down yeah right. and maybe, maybe they're they're capturing that expectation by by how they're drawing her yeah because she did she looked significantly older than 27 and then and again you know it is jarring the two different animation styles and i will be i didn't click immediately with me that they were like so different it was just more like again so distracted by her cheekbones but again that you know that ultra realism that we're having and i preferred watching like it was more pleasant to watch um teko as a child just yeah. because it was so much more visually pleasing like literally like child teko glows like literally is like like glows and that really, that's really what stuck out to me in, like, especially the, the later parts of the film is, like, she is, like, so much brighter than adult Taiko. Like, it's yeah. ridiculous. And so, like, that was something that I, like, really, like, noticed and really stood out to me. And I for, like, again, it's hard, like, for what for being in 1991, this is definitely a feminist, like, movie. But, again, it's also hard because of how much they play into the 1980s um, expectation for Japanese women because like the actual, like, and again, it's, she chose, like, it's interesting. Like there's, there's some interesting things playing at this movie. Like she is, you know, she's not leaving, living the quote unquote expected life for her. She is um, a woman living in the city. She lives alone. She works there are, and she is part of that movement of women who there are more women who wait to marry, who are working, who live alone, who, you know, it's just, you know, that, that was very much, um, like that culturally, that's what was happening. And then of course these men in the countryside can't find wives because they all went to the city. And this is like, this is a cultural, this is happening right now in China. Like this is like, this is what's going on and it's fine. And it's just interesting what they do with like what they're doing with her because is she, you know, she's doing what she wants. Like, she's like, oh, well, when I just want to, I go, you know, to the farm. Like, it was very startling at the beginning of the movie when her boss is like, oh, did you break up with your boyfriend? <laughs> and she's like, no. Like, But then it turns out she had actually turned down a proposal. I don't know how recent that was, but it, it was clearly very recent to the beginning of the film. And so it's just... For 1991, I would say this movie's feminist, but for me, it's hard for me for it to track now as watching this movie in 2020, where the ultimate victory of the movie is she goes to live on a farm with this dude, and they did get you, married. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, so to clarify, Delaney, did you find that it's hard to put this movie into modern feminist context because of its por- realistic portrayal kind of of expectations of women at the time, or is it that the movie played into those expectations, you know? Like, was it... Was it right. actually was it portraying it, or what? You're right. Like you talked about the decision at the end. Did you did you have a hard time grappling with that because it's maybe not you what you would view as a feminist ending? Well, I get, and it's one of those things. Like it's hard to say either way because one thing there is nothing wrong with going to live on the farm and marrying this dude. Like that in and of itself is not anti-feminist. Like you know, like that's not 
that's not the problem. But then it's in, but like basically we've been watching like the, the moments of like tension in the movie all have to do with her interactions with boys, which is not necessarily like the best portrayal of like her growth as a human, because the way, honestly, the way I read the movie is that she doesn't like, you know, this is a coming of age story, but it's her like being 27 and then suddenly realizing like how the world works. And it's like, what? <laughs> so that's, would, it's very odd. Like, I, I would say, like, it's, I don't know if it's her realizing how the world works. One thing that really struck me early on is that she really doesn't seem to like her job, which right. is, like, again, fine, but, like, it's not something that gives her any kind of joy at all. Right. And I think for her, like, she's in her late 20s, she's financially independent, she's feeling, I think, more listless in just her her life direction more than anything. And she like, she knows she likes going on the farming trips. But one thing I do appreciate is like when the, the grandma's really like pry and get into her business and on her case, like in the third act, like she has this meltdown, like this moment of crisis because yeah, she's been working great on the farm for like 10 days, but then she's real with herself. And I'm glad that the movie like goes into this and she's, yeah. she basically says like, I like I feel like if I accepted I'd be lying to them because it's easy to like do something good for 10 days but like I don't know if I could keep this up for longer than that and the thought of really committing scares her for that reason because it's all so hypothetical and she isn't used to like really doing that sort of thing long term and she knows it'd be a big adjustment I think like if she say liked her job better or she had like more of a sense of community, I don't think she really knows anyone in the city. Like we see her talking to her, I believe older sister on the phone and her older yes. sister is the one who's like bothering her about like, Oh, aren't you seeing anyone? Or like, why do you want to go to the country? Don't you want to like go somewhere fancy like a hotel? Cause like, that's the kind of stuff her older sister likes. But to me, like it makes a little more sense that she wants to go to the country because she seems to value the country more than like her sisters ever did. Like she goes on that trip with her grandma um, to all the bathhouses and she makes that comment about like, Oh, my sisters would never want to do something like this. So it kind of sets her up as a kind of alternative um, girl, maybe to like her more traditional sisters. Um, so like, I get it. Like the way it's framed, it's like, yeah, she does kind of leave like all that independence behind for this guy, but also like, she seemed like she really needed to like try something different, <laughs> maybe permanently just because like she was alone in the city and didn't really like her job. And I think like if the country does make her happy and she does genuinely like work really well with him and his family, um, and she gets a sense of accomplishment, which she was definitely missing from that job in Tokyo. I think, like, it became a lot more plausible that this is something that made, like, positive sense for her as a character. Well, for... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Delaney. Well, for me, like, the, I think the real disconnect for me in this movie, I think, is... So, all the movies I've... Like, I've watched Nausicaa, I've watched Totoro, like, you know, there is in all of, you know, so far, Studio Ghibli very much hammers home this... Going the countryside is better than city life. We've discussed this about Miyazaki. This, yeah. you know, the kind of the Walden like fairy tale, like the whole idea of like going back to nature and like it's so much better than city life. And I think what gets me about this movie is that it plays its cards too hard and it doesn't convince me. Like that, I, that the countryside isn't better than uh Yeah, because like for me, like I can like I can respect, like obviously it's gorgeous, and also 
and again, this movie is very much a product of its times. Like we're t- there is a lot of cult, like there, and there is a lot of cultural, this movie depends on the cultural context of. Yeah. And what, in what way do you, do you think that? Well, for, for, I think, well, cause like, and then these are other movies too, that, you know, we've talked about in, especially like on the book, the different books you reference quite frequently that got Miyazaki's like, you know, the economic boom in Japan during the eighties, which mm-hmm. is just beginning. And uh, where, when the present in this movie is set and this movie is much more, like we were talking about much more realistic. It is very much set in the sixties and then in the eighties in Japan. And there's all this context of the economic boom. People are leaving the countryside in droves to move to the cities, farming it like the econ- Japan's agrarian economy yeah. is Which like I collapsing. Think you're, you're, you're correctly uh, pointing out the that context. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Then I know that context without watching the movie. And, but then like now you watch it in the movie and it's there, but I don't think it's there enough to really like, for the movie to exist outside of the time in which it was released and the times that it's relying on, like it's relying on you to have context to watch this movie because like, Oh yeah. She just like, you know, and I, I agree with Michelle. I'm really glad that they brought like, Oh, this girl just goes on holiday for 20 days and she suddenly decides she wants to be a farmer. <laughs> I know. It's and, like kind of crazy. And like, they make that commentary. And I think that was a really valid con Cause you know, she makes comments like, Oh, I read this. I read this and I'm like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad when she said she was play farming, that really, that, that really was a good moment, I think in the film, but it's just, I just don't think they do. A, I don't know. Again, she's just, she's play farming. This is a vacation. And then she decides to, which there, it's not like there was anything for her in Tokyo, which I think that was yeah, one of the that's points the of the film. But it just, it doesn't sit right. Like, I just didn't feel blown away or compelled by this film in the way I have other Ghibli movies. Like, like the messages behind Nausicaa and Totoro versus this in which, like, which they kind of talk about organic farming. It's kind of weird the way they cover organic farming. <laughs> how they do that. And I don't know. It's just, I'm just not sold. Like, I'm like, why did you move? Like, I, like, it's yeah, just I think always- I think you're talking about the ending a lot. Um, I am so talking no. about it's just there's a lot of basically for me is like I think there are good messages in this film but they wrap it all up in the romance which they sold me on the romance Toshio's good boy yeah like, he's good go, boy he's good boy I like him he's cute he he like it's good Toshio's sweet he's a good guy but then like but then they wrap up all their messages and it's all it's all like dependent on this romance and not her actual drive or desire or like you know, belief that the countryside is better, if that makes sense. Like, so, so I think for me, that's where the movie kind of falls okay. apart a little bit. Let's talk about that. Uh, to, to, we're, we're, we're hitting on a lot of different things. So to, to <laughs> quickly hit on two things uh, that you previously mentioned, Delaney, one of which um, is the, the context surround the, you're, you're saying like the, maybe the movie isn't presenting as much context for what's happening, which you're aware of, but I think that's fair. Um, I know having seen the movie a bunch, I know there's these small moments. I think the character of the, the, the like teenage girl it, when she's in the present, I think is yes. largely a context setting character. There are these moments when she says, you mean when she not, yells Puma, uh, the Puma stuff. It's Puma, like, these, yeah. the, you know, the, these kids are long, kind of, this dynamic of the kids in the countryside are longing for modernity in the city. And then some people like uh, the main character are in the city and longing for the countryside, this kind of cyclical nature. And then also she's like, there's less kids in my class. Um, so there are these, these kind of context setting moments. They are small though. So, but I think that's an interesting point. Um, 
the uh, you're talking about you're you're not connecting as much, and I think it's a big. And we can talk about the themes presented. I do think thematically, in terms of the this return to countryside, this is one of Ghibli's most explicit movies in discussing that, which yes. I think you kind of mentioned. I think there's a, an entire conversation between the two leads about uh, that theme, uh, which we can talk about kind of in our environmentalism section. Um, but in terms of not connecting to it, I think it's, it's probably hard to, to compare a movie like this with, uh, the, all these Miyazaki movies, which we previously discussed. You know, this movie doesn't have these fantasy, this fantasy element to it. Um, and I think it's very striking compared to, to all of these. Um, but the ending, I mean, one commonality getting back to the ending, like we've discussed these potentially controversial endings to Miyazaki movies, or at least mo- endings you can interpret in different ways. This is definitely, I think, kind of a controversial ending in the regard that Delaney is responding to it. And, um, Delaney, you described this as a rom-com in the beginning. And I've yeah. seen other people talk about this movie as a romance movie. Um, Personally, I've never seen it as a romance movie, but I've always seen people talk about it like that. So I know that there's these different different interpretations of the movie, um, and this end and how that plays into the ending is really interesting because she goes back at the end. Uh, she doesn't discuss going back for the guy. It's just an implied thing, right? Like it's, yeah. it's not. It's you don't see them getting married. You don't see that they're going to live together. The grandma proposes that, uh, but she she just wants to go back to maybe reconnect with this life. What component of that is for the guy? I think that's a big factor in how you're going to interpret this ending. I think that's a good point. And I'll say I'll say two things. I think one thing that struck me when Delaney was saying, like, I just don't buy that she'd want to go back to the country. Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, even though there isn't necessarily anything for her in Tokyo. I think maybe part of the, I wouldn't call this an issue. Because, like, I like, I get it. But because this movie is so, like, it's, it's so bent on realism. You get this very like unglamorized, very realistic look at farming. And even though they have like nice montages of like, you know, grabbing all these like heads of flowers and, and stomping them into red paste. And like, you see the whole process and it's very interesting and informative. It does not look like a lot of fun to me personally. Like that is not something I would want to spend days and days and days and months of the year doing it looks like grueling backbreaking work but i think like the thing that like sells it for me for taiko is that like for her she does seem to really enjoy it and granted it hasn't been that long but like i would not survive 10 days straight making <laughs> those flowers and do a red paste like i i would be like sorry i don't love my job but like i do think it's better than this i'm gonna go back i'll see you like at christmas time or something family and so for her like I wasn't like convinced personally, but because it's her decision and I I, like buy into her character liking it, I can see why that's part of her motivation for wanting to just go back. Because like, yeah, if if she really likes the hands-on work, maybe, maybe that is a better decision for her. And I will echo, like, I agree with Dylan. I think like, we're going to talk about what Toshio does so right that so many like love interests do so wrong when it comes to heterosexual pairings, because there's a lot of good things he does. But I do think like her decision to go back was more about just like the active conscious decision of taking a new life path than necessarily it being about him. Like he's a part of it for sure. She likes him. She wants to see more of him. But I think it was like, again, you know, she went through school growing up, like maybe I'll be an actress. I don't know. Like she didn't really have a lot of direction. And it seemed like she went to the city 
without a lot of things figured out or direction either. And this was like a very pivotal time in her life where she did make a very clear direction. And I think hopefully that's why like at the end when you see like all the school children like trying to get her to go back and them cheering her on when she meets up with the guy is like they're happy she's figured out where she wants to be and like what her place is and what feels right to her and that she's like decided this for herself. So that's like the best I can take away from it. And that's not something I totally honestly feel like I got the first time I watched it, like what, 10 years ago. But I think for me now, like that's definitely how I feel. Yeah. And I will say I've struggled with this ending. So like, I, it's not, it's, yeah, Delaney, not Delaney, not immediately connecting with it. Like, I experienced the same thing. Well, you know, like yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of taken a while. I just don't buy Tycho's character. Like, here's the thing. Like, I don't know. Like, and I'm not, and I'm not trying to be like I hated this movie because I didn't. Like, it was beautiful, and I enjoyed many parts of the movie. But like, I think it's one. I think part of it is because this movie is so different narratively, and also Tycho herself is a very different character in that. You know, she's very much almost a foil to Nausicaa in that she is never certain of whatever is going on, whereas Nausicaa is very certain at all moments of what she's doing. She's, I, I, I love that uh, anti-Nausicaa <laughs> thing. She's she's not taking decisive action no. for most of her life. Yeah. Like, not, that's and, the, Nausicaa's yeah, defining and trait. Also, and, like, I feel bad. Okay, so, like, let's talk about child Teko. So, like, she, like, for most of the movie, you're kind of like, she sucks. Now, granted... I like she's a 10 year old girl and her family life is not great. (laughs) And like, you know, and she's held to all these expectations. Like she's bad at math. She probably just needed some help y'all, but like whatever. And, you know, you know, she's under a lot of pressure and people aren't, you know, being a kid sucks. It's hard. Like been there, done that. And like, so you spend a lot of the movie exploring this not glamorous part of being a child. So it's hard really to get a read on who she is as a character. And then we get to her as an adult and she's like, I'm not going to say she's blank face, but like she just spends the entire part. Like she's smiling like the whole movie, which is great. I'm glad that she's a happy person, but like I just, it's just, it's just these fragmented memories. And it turns out she's telling people these memories. And it's like, no wonder everyone thinks she's kind of weird. Like, but like, <laughs> but like, I mean, honestly, legitimately, like for me, the reason, like, I think like, cause every, like I've really got this whole, like, she's really thinking about like, you know, what she, what did she want at 10 years old? And then like, what is she doing now? Like what she's exploring these thoughts and feelings. Like these are pivotal moments in her life. And she was listless at 10 and now she's listless at 27. Like, you know, trying to connect those moments, try to figure, you know, try to get back to something, some sort of something to grasp at. And then, but then at the end of the movie, she's talking about her last memory and it's about this boy. And then it turns out the answer is that he probably liked her and then, then she goes back. So that's for me is that this is where everything starts to go downhill because it's like, I was really proud, you know, she ran away at, you know, and like kind of trying to figure out what she wants. And that's the thing I think for me is why you have to like, I'm not saying you have to, but I mean, it's, that's why it's very much like easy to read. This as a romance ending, which doesn't make it bad at all in general, but like, it's hard to connect to in this. And again, like all, like, Everything about her as a child was her interactions with boys. All of them had to do with boys. About when um, Kirohata, or I think that was his name, was, um, yeah. was, you know, had a crush on her. And then 
I do think that's an interesting point. A lot of her memories are male focused. Yes. Um, You know, even the one with her becoming an actress ultimately is about uh, her dad and then the time her dad hits her. Um, You could definitely, you could, you could argue, you know, a realistic. And then uh, even when she's telling that memory, she's like, oh, he only hit me once. I'm like, is there any depth Uh, to you at all? Like, cause I think. She even follows it up, like, when the the younger teenage girl says, like, oh, my dad hits me, like, kind of frequently. She's like, well, maybe that's better. Like, and I was like, like what? what like, that's, a, that's yeah. for me. Yeah, well, that's, there, that's a situation I do think we're lacking kind of the cultural context of for, um, for sure. punishment in Japan. Um, well, there's but cultural I mean, the context, st- but regardless, it's not good. <laughs> you know, I think, I think that's clearly, like, a really uh, scarring and uh, bad memory for her, even though yes. she's like, oh, he only, she's trying to frame it in a positive way. Yeah. I, I think, think that's like for tough. me is that like the movie just doesn't do a lot to like get you anywhere. Like, I think it's very much, they present you all of these things and then they're like, the movie's over. Reflect it on you. <laughs> reflect on it as you will, which I think is part of like, maybe my problem with the movie. Cause I'm like, that's why it's what? a drama. Yeah. It is a drama. It's very much a drama. And it's just, at, and then the movie ends. And I'm like, what was that? Granted, I would have been mad at the end if she didn't go back to him. But still, like, because <laughs> me and my fiance were like, does she go back? And we were like, there's six minutes left. She better turn around. Like, I'm getting irritated. But, like, yeah, I don't know. So- it just, it like, I wanted this movie to be about more than it was, I guess. Which maybe I don't like Slice of Life, which is fine. Maybe I'm just figuring this out. It just... We have it's just interesting this you know the environmentalism which is so heavy it is so heavy handed in this movie which isn't necessarily a bad thing but for me it that ends up not being the point of the movie which I think is my problem like Nausicaa that was the point of the movie like the yeah, ultimate can, like it's interesting we can talk about that we'll have the that's themes a good play I mean the point of the movie really is Taiko herself it's like not anything else it's really just like what does she want to do. At this point in her life, yeah, that's I mean, the, I think this, yeah, that's it. It's, a, it's about so okay. I mean, there's there's this. I think you're going to hit on the open endedness of the ending, which I want to read a quote on. But uh, before, like my my view of the ending, I think like is similar to what Michelle's is, which is just this. Uh, this is about her culminating this transformative moment in her life, um, mm-hmm. and she achieves that by looking back on uh, thing things in her past and um, her taking this new experience and deciding kind of the, for the first time in her life that she wants to move in this different direction. Um, and as uh, she, she is, she's been in Tokyo her entire life that she grew up there in the past and she's still living there now. And she decides she will, and she's doing this job. She doesn't seem to have a lot of connection with, she's finding connection in farming. She's finding connection with, with nature and how humans relate to nature. And she and decides people. she wants and to, and these mm-hmm. people too, and these hardworking people. And she's decided she it culminates in this transformative moment when she wants to go back and kind of that's how to how the movie ends. Um, and the tying of the themes would be, you know, she's going back to the country. A lot of it's because of these, uh, uh, the, this, this nature, like morals and stuff that, that she's connecting with. And that's so like, it's just a component into like this big moment. I think all I, to me, everything ties into this being a big transformative moment in, in her life. And that's the, and the brilliance, I think, of the memories is those are being fodder for her ultimately making this decision. That's what's so unique to me about the movie is how those are presented as, uh, as a connection to this, this big action being ultimately taken by her. And I'd say, Uh, like, honestly, that's only something you can really 
make sense of in hindsight very much not so like watching this movie not knowing where it's going and i, didn't I, I and i will say i do think that like, a lot of the movie would be reframed watching yeah it, you know, yeah I, mean, I think it's something like you watch it and then you're kind of like oh that's what that was okay what do i do with this and then it might honestly take like a few times to decide like if you really like it or not because like yeah like I, I think we're so used to things being more obvious but I feel like the point of this, when you don't really figure out this is even a big moment till the very, very end. And it's like, oh, that's why, like, all these flashbacks were even relevant. Because, like, before, yeah, it's like, why is she, like, sharing all this information to these people she doesn't know that well? But it's like, because, like, she's decided that this is kind of, like, a big turning point moment, maybe. And she's, like, processing through everything. But, like, in the moment, you really don't, like have any reason to like uh, like get that so it it takes a little time i'd say too to see it that way even yeah and i also see the the romance just as like a component of the overall bigger yeah. decision to make a transformation in her life i see it's very similar to how michelle presented it that being said i've certainly seen other people besides delaney like and i've seen uh, i've read read different perspectives online i've people see this kind of as a as a romance i mean they spend a lot of time together and it's pretty heavily implied she would go back for him at least part in the end so i think that's like a very valid reading of the movie personally i've always seen that as like a subset of just this general decision and tra- transformation in her life um, yeah i think the movie works better if, if you're able to read it that way not that you need to or anything or you well, should well it's like when i think about moments in the movie like talking about the chrysalis and you know turning into a butterfly and then like you know different you know yeah, that's a pretty explicit uh it is. We're talking <laughs> it's, about, very, yeah. it's a very explicit but my thing is that's in like this is a two-hour movie and it's at like the hour mark and then by the time we get to the end i don't even remember that and so like part of me is like to me it's almost like they lost the thread like to me it didn't feel like that big transformative decision like if that makes like the memory like i think it is very i think it's very narratively interesting but i don't know if it's like, I don't know. It's just very disjointed, which is the point. It just, it just didn't all come together for you, which I think is yeah, uh, very, just didn't. very valid. Like, it just didn't. Yeah. And, like, and I think a lot of it is I just wasn't sold on her character because we just go from, like, this bratty 10-year-old, which is, like, totally fair. All 10-year-olds suck. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I feel like it's less, and I think this is true of a lot of Mizaki's, it's less about her specifically as her as, like, a... Uh, a, a lens into this life transformation you know like i feel like it's mm. like the audience like connecting with what she's going through more yeah, than it's not it's herself. not her yeah i think that's me i think for me that's where this movie loses it because that's like because you're just watching all these terrible things happen to her and like and i feel bad for her i do like throughout the film and then like but then she's an adult and she's just like yeah and i'm like what like what is going on <laughs> and so i think that's part of it's for me is that there's there is nothing like drawing me into her specifically. Like I'm just watching all these events. Yeah. I think it's the, fair. We can talk about how the, and the, the past. closest we get to really getting in her head are these like, um, kind of these, they're not dream sequences, but like, you know, when she's like walking through the air or when she's swimming, you know, in that like rainbow background, like that kind of stuff is like the closest we get to any sort of like, actual like thought or like how she's feeling 
I can think of a couple others. Like when everyone's really excited about the pineapple, like, oh, it smells so good. And then they start eating it. They've never had one before. And they're like, oh, it tastes really hard. And they start giving all their slices to her. And she just, you can tell she doesn't actually like it, but she's like so committed to just accepting it that she just eats them anyway because she's so stubborn. I feel like that was a really nice moment to show like, yeah, she... She can stick to her guns when she really wants to. Yeah, Delane's describing many of these past memories as negative or like, I do think there are some positive uh, memories, but I do think you kind of get this overall sense of of, of uh, the true reflecting on bad things that happened to her. But um, I think well, that's she interesting definitely feels that, that like... was the, the powerful takeaway for you was was kind of the, the negative nature of, of the memories. Well, a lot of um, it, she just seems very restrained, like in control, like her whole life. And then it makes sense that she'd want to go back to the country. But then for me, it's just, she doesn't, there's no, she doesn't say anything or act like it. And I'm like, why? Like, do you, like, are you just here? It's very uh, internal transformation, yeah. I guess, that's going on. As So I have a quote from um, Susan Napier from Anime from Akira to how, Anime from Akira to move, How's Moving Castle Experiencing Japanese Animation. Um, Susan Napier says that, however, is the film's inclusion of these brilliantly presented childhood memories that is only yesterday's greatest strength by suggesting the richness of personal memory that lives within every human. As opposed to the obvious tropes of farmers planting in the field and milking cows, the delicate psychological moments encapsulated in personal memory resonate deeply, and it is the combination of the two that gives the film its particular power. So I definitely like think it's the combination is that this is what makes only yesterday special. Susan Napier's like saying these pa- these the memories are kind of the strong part of the film, which I think I agree with. I think I like the young Tycho parts a lot more than the yeah. I think you're supposed to yeah. like they look better, they're more fun. <laughs> and like and well, there's a lot more dialogue in those moments than in like we spend a lot of time with her as an adult either just doing the memories because she's telling them to Toshio or we're She's just like staring out a train window or something. So exactly, I think, I think yeah. in terms of how they come together, the first half of this movie, by the way, I didn't say this in my initial thoughts. This movie is two hours. I think that the worst thing I can say about it, because I connect with so much of the movie, is that this movie is very slow and kind of a little bit hard to get through. I'll say that. Uh, so <laughs> That's absolutely uh, I will say that. how I felt. You, well, my thing is like, you're halfway through the movie before you even, before adult Tycho even like talks to someone. Yeah, that's that's what I was gonna say. The first half of the movie is dominated by young Tycho. So probably ninety percent of the screen time is young Tycho in the first half of the movie. And then that starts to reverse as we go into the second half as we build up to her decision. Which I will um, say so is interesting for me. The whole time watching the first hour of the movie, I was like, What is she doing? Like as an adult. Like that was me. Like I'm like, where are we going? What are we doing? Like <laughs> Yeah, well, I want to see what happens, and then it was interesting that I was like, "JK, I want, I want the cute memories back." <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, I, I love Delaney. Like, this is kind of why I was trying to get different perspectives in the series of like people watching something for the first time, people who've seen something a million times, and even though kind of a lot of Michelle and I's response to Delaney is like it'll work better in subsequent viewings, it doesn't mean that it's invalid. This, this, uh, what what you're getting from watching it the first time, and I do think it's just an interesting perspective to to bring to the table. I think probably totally. a lot of people listening watched it for the first time and are agreeing with Delaney. And so, um, uh, you know, maybe, maybe this discussion will help, uh, 
help people eventually get there with subsequent viewings or maybe not. I think it's also just valid to just not connect with it on any number of viewings. Um, but the, the younger Taiko scenes, I mean, to kind of wrap up the different animation discussion, we've been bouncing around a ton of things, which is great. All the, we've hit on all the major topics, really, except, and even the environmentalism. But, um, the, the, something that really hit on me for the, uh, it was just more noticeable for me. This viewing was the, this, uh, frame I mentioned in the past quotes, but all the younger Taiko scenes are, have like a, a frame around them and the sides, a white, uh, that gives the ethereal nature that I kind of described of the, of the past Tycho. So, um, and they are very pastel colored and stuff. Uh, so I, I just, I love the animation presentation of, of past Tycho, even though it's, it is this more conventional style. I, on Wikipedia right now, I'm, this is, I haven't found a source for this, not confirmed. It says that they did the voices after the animation for past Tycho, but before the animation for older Tycho. Um, okay. which is like why, how they're able to shape the fa- facial muscles more to the dialogue. I think that's oh. interesting if you look into that. Um, and apparently most anime is the voices are done after the animation, uh, which I know is true of some later Miyazaki movies because I saw that in some documentaries. Um, so, uh, I, I, yeah, just, uh, and then the connection of the two, I mean, uh, we're right. As we've hit on this movie has some explicit moments. She says in the movie, I didn't intend for 10 year old. Uh, me to come along with me on this trip but when she uh, showed up she won't leave me alone and she at one point says she's tagging along along so she like help her rethink her life and we mentioned the 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 metamorph metamorphosis of the butterfly or whatever so um i yeah i i think that that's kind of like how the movie presents the tying in and then we're we're kind of bringing it together to this transformation moment at the end and there there's a moment i think early on when they uh younger Taiko's there on the train, but the main thing is definitely at the end when all the uh younger Taiko and all the kids can uh show up when she's on the train coming back. Um, which I think is so strikingly presented after you see these two distinctive styles uh for the, the all the earlier parts of the movie. Um so yeah, I mean I think uh I think I think it, we we've mostly covered all the the different animation aspects. And I think we were t- also talking about how the the ending is open ended, so I want to bring on a, a quote in on this um, relating to the context of Takata's films. This is going back to Colin O'Dell and Michelle LeBlanc. They say, although a poignant film filled with hope, only yesterday tempers its nostalgia with a sense of dreams unfulfilled and of a childhood that was marked by inaction. In many mm. ways, Takahata's films are about imperfection and compromise. They affect their audience on an emotional level precisely because they mirror the truth. The artifice of animation takes on a wider universality because Takahata's characters are flawed but believable, the resolution of the film rarely resolving the story. Um... Definitely think this movie um, cuts off is open ended. Um, I love the connection here with the inaction. Think of Grave of the Fireflies. That movie is a lot about the flawed nature of the protagonist or his, his by his inaction. <laughs> um, and so you know we're looking. I, I, this movie is so different from Grave of the Fireflies, but also what? very much very much feels like Takahata in its realism. It's like these these flawed main character, but so realistic main characters, and we get this theme of kind of inaction. At but in this movie, she's able to turn it around, you know, before everyone starves to death. So, like, that's, uh, I guess that's kind of the difference. Of, of this on a scale of one to ten, it's not a one, is what you're saying. <laughs> you know, so, it's, an action. it's interesting. So, I didn't know the great, so I've seen Grave of the Fireflies. And I didn't, and I watched it years ago. And I didn't know, like, you know, I was not aware that Studio Ghibli, you know, you have kind of like these, you know, you have Takahata movies and then you have Miyazaki movies. I was not pr- aware of this, like... Uh, I guess you could say dynamic. 
And so it's interesting that you bring that up about, and you'd mentioned it earlier, of course, about Grave of the Fireflies, because I think that is, that might be, and I don't think having flawed protagonists is bad, but I think that's probably like, that's probably, you know, this is, you know, maybe I just don't like this kind of movie. Like, I don't think it has as much of a universal appeal. At the yeah, because it's not it's not escapist in a fun way, which, again, I think is something like Miyazaki is so good at doing. Like he he gives this almost hyperbolic sense of wonder and nostalgia sometimes. But this is I, I kind of honestly would say I love the flashbacks because they're so incomplete and, and it's full of so many unrealized things like we never get the impression that she does date that boy who had a crush on her the good athlete that she admired on the field we never get the sense that she does like learn how to figure out math even though like it implies that like when she's drawing the graph on the back of her paper that maybe the issue is simply that she's a visual learner and she needs to draw out symbols to under to make the connection of how fractions and multiplication works or even like she was so good at acting in the school play to the point where like the older students wanted her in their production. And when her dad said, no, her mom also told her like, okay, your friend or your classmate got asked about the role. Do not tell her you were offered it first because like for her mom, it's like, you don't brag about that. It'll just make her feel bad. But for the protagonist, it's like, it sucks that she can't like be proud of this thing. She's so good at and see where it takes her. And she does like, Say like, yeah, I tried like drama in high school and I didn't love it. So it's fine. But like, you always wonder like if she had like continued from such a young age, maybe she could have been someone successful in that field. So like all that unrealized potential, I feel like it's a big part of like the melancholy of life anyway, you know, because when you're kids, you're a lot of times told you can do anything. But the, the truth is you can only be really good at a very few amount of things because it takes a very long time to get very good at anything at all. So you do have to make executive decisions about what to pursue. And that leads to an endless list of things you'll never really get to see realized. And I feel like that's something this movie really harkens back to, which again, like it's like, I don't know, kind of soothing in a like, yes, I see that I understand sort of way like that, like, like me too, same but it also is a little like, oh, yeah, there are a lot of things you just never find out the answers to. And that's like the part of life maybe you never stop thinking about. Like, I do think it's interesting that she has all these negative memories, like you were saying, Delaney, sharing with these people. But I think that's because like those what if memories are the ones you hold on to the longest because like there's something that drives you about wanting to know how it could have been. Whereas a really happy memory you know, it's not going to like plague your thoughts (laughs) the same way just because like it's a good thing. So you don't really have to think about it more than that. But I feel like when I share a lot of past things, if it's not like a very specific thing I like, it is a lot of like, man, like I wonder what would have happened if I'd like done that thing instead of this thing. Or like if I'd find out if that person did really like me, but I was too scared because it's the third grade or whatever. (laughs) So I, I I really feel that with the memory section of this movie. Like you know, the, the... I, I, you can and you can give it uh, to save your graph too. I, I like I totally agree with what Michelle is, is saying about it. like the pat. Like for me, like 
uh, all my most formative memories are like negative memories in my head. Like, and <laughs> yeah, it sucks, but somehow. it's like, you just, like embarrassments. Like I just mm-hmm. am so likely to remember it. Like happiness, no. Um, and I, I we're talking <laughs> about the the experience of uh, uh, the, the nature of memory that this movie presents. The powerfulness of memories from that quote. I, I do think that's one of the most striking parts of the movie. I think this is probably the best presentation of how memories can affect you. And like there are these times when I just get so like uh drawn into just remembering things that don't matter and uh yeah. like and nothing she's thinking about really matters, but it's just what's important is she's there. just reflecting. Yeah. And it's, it's and it's impacting her in the pre- like so yeah, I think like up there with like the distinctive use of it, the animation styles is just the the nature of memories, like that the way mm-hmm. that this movie portrays that I think is so incredible. And I will say, so the thing that's really important I think about when she kind of really starts to consider Toshio for real we're in that car when she like leaves after the grandma's hounder about marrying him and everything and it's all too much for her she's processing this memory from her childhood of this boy that she hated who she just found so disgusting and she's she's being really real with Toshio like she's like he was really poor like he was gross he would like wipe his nose on his sleeves like I thought he was like so like like more disgusting than normal boy like disgusting in part because he was like poor and that's what ostracized him from the class but also he would pick on me and that sucked and Toshio being a a man with boy memories has this dude insight that like she never would have gotten and he tells her like well you know it sounds like he probably had a crush on you like think about it and then like you can see her in real time reforming her evaluation of a memory where she saw him holding his dad's hand on the street like a normal kid he sees her and he suddenly like shoulders up and swaggers and his dad even calls him out on it he's like what are you doing why are you why are you walking that way and she gets it like for the first time and it totally it totally rewrites this assumed memory she had for her whole life that he just hated her too he actually had a crush on her and like for her i feel like part of what makes that a big deal it's like toshio becomes this person who has this amazing perspective that she doesn't have herself and that becomes a very attractive quality like i think it's that he can share his perspective and maybe change the way she looks at the world like he's already changing the way she looks at like her past memories and that itself is like kind of really appealing and cool and it brings them closer together so i think like that's the reason that scene is where it is so close to the end of the movie when she decides to go back like again toshio isn't the whole point of her going back but i do think like that was one of the moments that really made me go like oh yeah toshio like your bonus points for that it was, it was good use of yourself there <laughs> I love I love that framing of that scene in the, in the romance, but I also just I don't know because I, I, I've struggled like to understand that scene of uh, the shaking the the poor the poor kid's hand. Mm-hmm. I love the way you phrase that of like that scene is totally just about reframing memories and yeah. getting outside of your own perspective on yes. your own memories because all we have is our own perspective until like someone tells us differently. And like I'm sure you guys have had this where like you'll be with family members and you'll tell them a memory you had, and they'll be like, "That's not." right like that's not how it happened and Mm. they'll share this bit that like totally like you didn't even think of anymore because it wasn't relevant to you when you were forming that memory but it kind of makes you realize that yeah my 
memory isn't perfect. And it's really just like the way that I have decided to frame the story of myself that I want to tell. And that's like kind of narrow in its own way. Yeah, like totally like she's 10 like uh, none of these <laughs> memories are real right like like i don't i don't have almost any memories of uh, of of that time that immediately come to mind and she's totally been influenced by probably people recalling it and stuff and so it's not even like the factual nature i feel like of what going on what's going on it's these memories as an insight into her psyche and how mm-hmm. she how, her how her life is when and how she's thinking about things now yeah and like that's the power of them and i feel like that's what it's ca- the movie's capturing man yeah, I love that. I love, that. I love yeah. that reframing thing. I also think that the the scene with the poor kid has like has as as stuff to do about um like that 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 time when she's like I hated him most of all. Like that's pretty powerful too. It's yeah. like when you pretend you pretend to be uh like above this like uh this bad bad the bad presentation of other people, but really on the inside you like you identify it as something uh like that. That's always struck me as powerful. And then just the like kind of the commentary on on class disparity. I think mm-hmm. is definitely there too. Um, it's interesting because yeah, like Michelle. she at the beginning of the flashbacks it seems like she's a little uncomfortable with the fact that her girlfriends might have more money than her because they can afford to go on summer vacation trips and she always has to stay in the town but compared to that boy she's like nowhere near you know as poor as him and that puts yeah. her somewhere like on a scale, an economic. I think a little, scale. Yeah, a, a little of that, and also she doesn't have like relatives in the country to to go to. She's her just her ties to the city are just she all she has is the city, and I think that's a big part of the ending is her. It's the the first memory with like she's nowhere to go home to go on vacation in the country is is maybe the most important to her ultimate decision, which is like, I, I, I've I only experienced this one thing my whole life. I've only had the ability to experience this one thing my whole life in the city. I need yeah. to do something new here. Um, yeah. Uh, Delaney, any comments on this memory, the discussion we're having? I mean, I think it's definitely like, it's inner. I think this uh, interpretation is very interesting and like, I, it's extremely valid. Like no one remembers like everything you only like Michelle was saying, you only have your perspective. That's the only way you remember things. And I definitely think at the end when Toshio is actually like interpreting her memory and like being like, well, what if it was this? Mm-hmm. That for me was definitely like a really like for me, it kind of like the memory suddenly started to make more sense. Which like for me, how I interpreted the memories and we talked about the negative memories was that a lot of it was she's never gotten to like, she has never got to make a decision for herself or do anything she wants to do. Mm-hmm. Like things never go her way, which when she's a 10 year old, it's interpreted as her being a spoiled brat. When in fact she is extremely like limited and like she, you know, she's the youngest, her sisters are significantly older than her and her parents are a bit controlling and she's not like her other sisters. And so she gets, you know, kind of the rough end of the deal all the time. And now as an adult, she just kind of like, she's just like, well, I live in Tokyo. I'm going to work in an office in Tokyo. But then she actually gets to do something she's always wanted to do to go to the countryside. And so I, for me, that was more like, that's really what I was getting out of the memories was this, this, you know, when she was 10, you know, it's very, and everyone's experiences. Everyone's been like 13. They've been like, oh my God, my mom won't let me go out and hang out with my friends. She's the worst human on earth. Like, why won't she let me leave the house? And so it's interesting how these, and considering these memories we experience, she's a well, she is a well-rounded person. <laughs> like, her, like her interactions with, um, 
is it N- Nako? Uh, who uh, the 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 kid in the or her yeah the, the the farm kid not Nanako the, the, the farm Na- Nauko, yeah Nauko. so it, and her interactions with her I thought were some of the more compelling parts because for me that was more compelling was her like going to these memories and then Nauko is like she experiences the inverse of what they experience extremely similar situations because again like there is some universality to these experiences that these characters are having but then also the flip side of she's growing up in the countryside versus uh Taiko growing up in Tokyo so i don't know so much about the like it's inter- there again there's not much context to these memories so it's hard to say like did this really happen obviously she didn't actually walk up into the sky but like you know it's interesting like yeah this unreliable narrator. Um, yeah. And I guess it's, not, I feel like it's not as much point whether it literally happens or not specifically, although I don't right. we're not. It's interesting because we're not intended to question, although maybe right. at the end when, when Toshio helps her reframe her memory, that maybe we are supposed to start to question the right. exact nature of some of these things. But I feel like that's yeah. maybe not as much the, and we don't have a specific thing. The movie's asking for right. us to do. And we don't have any other characters. Like she talks to her sister which I'm not 100% sure which sister she's talking to. Yeah. Well, so this is something I was going to say is, you know, what's ma- what this is making me think of this discussion. I think Michelle is basically talking about this, but like it, it's it's not Toshio, like her romance with Toshio. I feel like it's not important. Like, I feel like what's important about ha- being with Toshio is her having someone. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's yeah. so general, was, but just she's having her. someone to talk to her, her like her age, mm-hmm. talk, talk about her experiences with that can help her reframe her experiences like and talk about these past traumas that she can discuss like this nature and the state of uh, the state of the world and these ideals with like that's what's so good great about Toshio is his ability to connect with her and her just like having a person like it's so generic like uh, the basic component of romance but just having a person to experience life with I feel like that's all that's happening with Toshio you're stealing like my grand Toshio discussion but you're not wrong so it's okay well yeah that was inspired by what you said. Yeah, so, I, I the whole movie, I was thinking like, wow, why do I like Toshio so much? Like, why is he the best man I've ever seen in a movie? <laughs> and it's it's because like when we see movies made like from men, even if they're about girls, a lot of times, like they're so obsessed with like this idea of the male love interest proving themselves to the girl to the point where like they can't not turn them down because the gesture they made like is such a big deal or it's so grand that it's just like, it just proves their love. And Tosho is literally like, he's nice to her. He, he listens to her every time she tells him a story. He talks to her through her thoughts. He offers his perspective. He doesn't have any seemingly expectations about where their relationship's going to go. He is simply enjoying her company the same way she is enjoying his. And ultimately, like, it's really in her hands if she wants to, like, do anything with him, like, in the future. Yeah. And I think, like, that's, like, all the best stuff because, yeah, he's literally just a supportive companion. I feel like if this is, like, a drama for adult women to kind of, like, you know, <laughs> enjoy <laughs> Like, that's why Toshio works so well. He's He's there to be a support in every sense of that word. Like... Like, in terms of just, like, you know, challenging her thoughts, but also, like, helping her do, like, the handiwork and just being a nice, emotionally stable presence 
by her side potentially forever. Like there's nothing remarkable about Toshio besides the fact that he can do all those things and the bar is so low for men that that makes him very remarkable. But that's like really it. Like, I don't know a lot about Toshio. He likes talking about, you know, organic plants and farming. He really likes farming. I don't know what he thinks about literally anything else. And that's fine because he's not the main character. And he's he's enough for Seiko because he is a part of her life, not her whole life. I feel like that comes across really clear in the movie, which is why he never ever is like in a position to make a grand gesture because he is not her everything. He's just like a great person to have around potentially forever. Y'all, I'm having a yeah. breakthrough about this movie. Oh, good. <laughs> Yes. Okay, here's my breakthrough. Okay, Share so the breakthrough. Okay, so here's my breakthrough. So 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 so. So like, and again, talking about like, you know, as a child, like she was very controlled. Like she's never had any agency in her whole life. None. Like you know, talking about this being a ten year old and the restrictive Japanese society and the time in which she grew up, and then now she's an adult in the eighties, mm-hmm. where there are less restrictions. She's an adult living on her own in Tokyo. She can do whatever she wants, but she doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And so she's just stuck in this rut being, you know, the, you know, power, you know, Tokyo, you know, feminist, like lady she is, you know, living on her own. And then she's like, you know, she talks to Toshi. Well, a lot of people do it. Like everybody does. All my friends are like this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so all these memories are, you know, moments where people made decisions for her or things didn't work out the way she wanted them to. And then now she's an adult. And she's doing something she's always wanted to do. And so for me, I, this is restructuring the ending for me. And so part of what we're talking about with Toshio, the reason Toshio is so great and having that my person, like no one has ever listened to her in her whole life. Like no one ever like is like, yeah, yeah, Tycho, I agree yeah. with you. Like no one is on her side. Like no one in her family is on her side. Her mom's on her side. Her dad's almost on her side like once. And then like no one is on her side. And... Like, she doesn't, she can't rely on anyone. Like, even her friends, like, immediately embarrass her. Like, memory, too. And then, like, and so there's not, there's a not, like, she, there's never, like, we have connections with characters, but there's never in, like, she's always, like, the odd one out. Like, she is kind of, like, everyone thinks she's too naive or that she's, you know, too dumb or whatever. And which is why I think these moments with, you know, like, these powerful moments with the boys, which is maybe not necessarily the best that it's always with dudes, but, like, we have, like, you know, when she's talking to Hirohara and being like, oh, cloudy weather's what I like, too. And they smile at each other. It's mm-hmm. like, finally, someone agrees with me on something. <laughs> and, then, and then we get to her as an adult, and she's, like, doing what she's always wanted to do. She's going on vacation. And then she's finally letting, and then the ending is her finally letting herself have what she's always wanted. Because she's never been able to do that before, but she's been afraid of it. Because her whole life is her being living the way she's supposed to. And she's only ever lived in Tokyo. That's all she knows. And so then talking to Toshio and like, he's so understanding. And she finally has like, she finally has power in these situations. She's older than them. Toshio has no authority over her. And, you know, she gets to be this role model, role model for Nako. And so Nako. And so she, um, so this, so this is like this very powerful moment of her realizing she has agency and her being like, I'm going to go live on this farm. Cause I want to. Yeah, I want to yeah. do stuff. I, and, and for once, and yeah. also, she finally found something she likes to do. Like mm-hmm. exactly her whole life, she's like, oh, I kind of like, like she, like you were talking about Michelle. She didn't get to ex- like she did eventually get to explore that she liked. Not doing when she theater, wanted to, but not when she wanted to. Like they were like, no. And so she's never got to do anything on her own terms. And so finally, she's like, well, I'm not gonna go back to my job because I don't want to. 
<laughs> and I'm an adult, so suck and it. And I'm an yeah. adult, and I can do what I want. And so I really think that's, I think maybe that's that's why I've interpreted so much of her being naive and suddenly realizing how the wor- world works when she's 27. Because it finally feels like she figured out that she can do whatever she wants, because she's 27. Yeah, I mean, I think that you're presenting, this is a lot of Michelle and I's interpretation of the ending. I think that's a great presentation of a lot of it. But yeah, she's, she's finally choosing to carve her own path and do mm-hmm. what she wants. And she there's a person who will support her in that. I think the point of like, he, uh, Toshio's younger than her and like she has a lot of power in what she's doing I think yeah. that's a great point like kind of a, per- a perfect uh, person for her when she's been suppressed by by men through a lot of her life um, especially the father who I think comes across very badly yes oh my god well okay there's um, like in the beginning me and my fiance were like oh I only like the dad and then we're like I don't like the dad anymore <laughs> <laughs> like, why you, you, like, you learned that he's the worst of all. Yeah, and then we were like JK I'm out I don't like, like it was that yeah. he literally just verbalized that and and then we were like, nope, JK, I don't like the dad anymore. I do like Delaney's point about Nako, the the teenager, because it, it is also true that for Teiko, she um she was the youngest of three girls in her family. So she was used to being the one everyone told what to do because she was the baby. But now she gets to kind of older sister someone else, which is another form of power she's not used to having. Yeah, it's just it, it's it's like her choosing to do something she wants to do in an environment that is supporting supports her doing that. Yeah. yeah. It's so simple and and but it, that's like the, the universality of it and also just um it's simple but it's so it's it's complex and it it does take a while to kind of like interpret all this that the movie's getting at. And for a movie that is so explicit about some things, I do think it is um is a little bit uh, it doesn't necessarily hold your hand completely this interpretation of the ending an hour and a half later i finally figured it out i mean you know i think it's it's that's an interpretation of the movie like uh if that was text versus subtext a lot of this stuff would have said it more so i think it's valid to to not uh say to not tap into that or say that doesn't matter as much as other things but i like these are all like totally reasons why i really connect with the ending now and i think like I, I love the, I, I didn't necessarily get there with this framing of Toshio, which I really love, just as like oh, a supportive person. Yes, like, that's <laughs> like, all I we really want. If we're gonna be with the guy, it's literally all we want. You don't have to be special. Just be nice and be there and give us your own perspective. And that's one thing, because like up till then, she's just telling people her memories and everyone's just taking it at face value. That's the first time he really like offers something different for her to think about. And I think, again, that's part of why like he works in that moment, because like, if you're going to be with someone long-term, they can't just like not have anything to say and have their own thoughts and feelings, you know, like that's part of why I really, he's, I just love Toshio. He's literally the best. <laughs> A lot, most of their scenes are just them talking. Like, yeah. And Toshio's just talking about, like, here's my perspective on organic farming. And yeah. we do know a few other things about Toshio. He did work in an office. He left to do farming. Oh, and that's he's like true. a ski instructor. Yeah. Uh, but these things almost don't matter. And and then like he talks about he did the themes of the movie in terms of farming is like, like a collaboration between humans and nature. It's something we could get into <laughs> more, but what we've discussed is more yeah. interesting, honestly. So <laughs> but it, it's 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 like uh and those th- I mean I, I, she I think she like finds that appealing, but you're right, it's just they're just talking and sharing their perspectives and supporting mm-hmm. each other and that's kind of it that's all you need yeah that's kind of all we ultimately want yeah i love that 
Uh, and in that in that respect, isn't the movie a grand romance because it's uh, finding the most basic element of companionship? These two people, but it's still mostly about her. So, like, I wouldn't. Like, it's framed from the perspective of life, yeah. maybe, which Toshio yeah. is a part of, I guess, tangentially. Right. That's yeah. I mean, that is how I see it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love. I love all these conclusions. To, speci- to to close things out, hit on a few of the the me- the memory scenes in a little bit more detail. We talked about the pineapple scene, which is my favorite scene in the movie. Um, I, I'll read a quote about the, the pineapple scene from Colin O'Dell and Michelle LeBlanc. 1966 saw Japan on the upturn and set the scene for a subsequent economic standing. This can be best illustrated in the scene where Taiko's father brings home a pineapple for the family to share, a hugely expensive item and a sign the family's growing prosperity. However, as no one actually knows how to prepare the fruit, they have to wait to find out. Watching in awe as mother eventually slices and serves it with great ceremony. When the fruit is finally eaten, the, fa- the family admits to disappointment as the end result. It is a disappointment that mirrors Taiko's life when her dreams of becoming an actress are coming to fruition only to be shattered by her father's conservatism Mm -hmm. which i think is an interesting point but just the pineapple scene um i've always been in love with the scene i've talked about it on the podcast before but um like just i feel like the emotions of displayed are are so unique in what i've i've seen portrayed by the media before specifically this like persistent um like excitement in even in the face of uh disappointment just like trying to to keep to keep at it that uh that young taiko does of and and trying to convince herself that this is great um and relative to expectations and just the family's like awe in awe of the pineapple and like figuring out how to eat it and like i i just i love every every second of it it's one of my favorite of these like slice of life scenes you'll see in this type of uh so that the manga is based on like that uh this this type of manga or anime um and i feel like there's a lot of amazing i think the the scene with the 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 hirota the baseball player like and then them them meeting it then when she soars it but just that whole scene i think that's like incredible one thing we haven't talked at all about which i think is one of the most unique scenes of the movie is, is it the period uh, one the period yeah they talk about periods it's so exciting <laughs> no 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 piece of media has discussed right? that has not said the word period as many times as this movie does. Yeah, as many times for sure. The best part I think that's one of its most distinctive feminist elements is yes. how open it is with the experiences well, of young girls in period. It's really funny to me, like when it starts. Like as soon as I like the announcement, all boys go to the gym and then mm-hmm. we load you into know. the girls and the I was like, oh no. And my fiance well, had not really been watching the like like she watches with me, but she doesn't not some movies she doesn't hone in on. She did not hone in on this movie. <laughs> And at some point she was like, what are they? And I was like, I know exactly what's happening right now. And I'm displeased about it because <laughs> it's exactly what happened when I was in middle school. And yeah. so like, and it's one of those uh, I do. And I think, well, I think my favorite character is her friend that um, who's like, oh, I've had a period and it's nothing to be ashamed yeah. about. And she just yeah. like reacts to all the boys like you're dumb. And I was like, you are my favorite character. You are the best 10 year old girl ever. She just, like, lets it roll off her so effortlessly, which, like, honestly, if I was, like, 10, I would not be able to do that. And the fact that, like, Taiko's, like, genuinely concerned, like, is this gonna hurt? Like, am am I catching a disease if I sit too close to the girl? Am I gonna suddenly get my period? Like, it's the chicken pox or something. Like, those are the kind of concerns kids really have, but it's so little talked about. Like, kids don't really understand what a period is until they actually get a period. And before then, it's all just, like fantasy imaginings of what a period is 
Yeah, that that yeah that uh young girl very composed and put together compared to uh especially Tycho but everyone else. But yeah, t- I think that scene captures the just embarrassment of maturing at that age for sure. That's kind of what we're also what full stop experiencing. Boys suck. And then yeah, the very much captures, the, captures the, to see the, the nature of uh, young boys, yeah. And it's then a- just and they just capture all like my like when they just like when the boys start stuff and they just start hitting them with the brooms i'm like yes they just my gosh, also there are so- no adults ever <laughs> there's never a single adult ever yeah. i feel uh, like especially for a movie that takes place in the 60s it's like i feel like one thing that i really noticed is a lot of times like her memories might involve boys but she hardly ever like socializes with boys her own age like they they feel very genderly segregated which like is why I think when she talks to the the athletic boy, like it makes it's it's so realistic that she wouldn't like have a clue who this guy is. But all her friends, like it's something to do is to mess with her and talk to this boy behind her back. So they do it. And but when she actually sees him practicing in the game, she's like, oh wow, like he's really good at this. Like, ooh, his sex, his like confidence is like exciting to me. I don't know how I feel anymore. And when he chases her down and asks her about the weather, I love it because it's like they don't it it shows that they don't really know each other as people and it's like that one moment of trying to connect on a personal level where it's not just like this cute girl he sees like you know down the hall it's like an actual person who may or may not like cloudy weather as much as him and when they both like kind of share that similarity it's like they're a boy and a girl in a very like gendered school, but they both like cloudy weather the most. And that kind of unites them in this way that I don't think they normally get with people of the opposite sex at that age too, which is just so cute and wholesome, honestly. Yeah, I totally think uh, all of that is what that scene is capturing. I think that's one of the best ones. And um, I think uh, yeah, the, we, the pineapple scene, the period scene, we, we, uh, we mentioned in the beginning, uh, her, her sister Yaiko, um, she, she was crazy about some actress and she's like <laughs> holding a picture and blushing and, uh, yeah, that's definitely how and I she said something that. like, I told you to knock. And I'm like, what were yeah, you doing? She, yeah. Well, right. And she's embarrassed about, about it. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, you're gay. <laughs> Surprise. She, she's the, gay. the, the, the that she's the gay older sister and then the the married older sister to uh uh i don't know yeah i'm what trying to remember in the present yeah. who she's talking to yeah but, i'm not um, sure which sister I'm, I, it must be the 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 middle sister because she was the one who was really into like jewelry and makeup and who made a big deal about like i don't want to give her my old purse like i like my yeah. purse it's well so the the connection she has with the countryside is whichever sister she's talking to is husband's family yes. i think uh-huh. is uh so yeah, i hope it's like Yaiko, yeah because she's the yeah right family. well because she's like you know I, thanks to you i wouldn't even have a family in the countryside yeah oh yeah she, she found it through one of the sisters marrying someone with that connection yeah um the uh i mean the other scenes from the when she's younger we, we i think we briefly talked about when she can't divide fractions there's a, a whole thing yeah. about that um i think that uh i think that there's the scene of them debating running in the halls and the uh the the snooty uh smart girl yeah uh, making the argument it's pretty great i when i saw that i was like i hope she becomes a politician later <laughs> she's so good already <laughs> And and then we briefly talk about Tycho's uh, her in her role in the school play and her like inflating the role. Um, and then yeah, and then her dad just like not even entertaining her being in the college uh, kids play. Um, 
yeah, between that and the hitting her with the, and then the scene, the scene he hits her is after the purse. Um, mm-hmm. and they're, then they're going out to eat and she doesn't want to go. Um, yeah, uh, just very, very much capturing, I think, the kind of repressive nature of the society around her and the effect that had on her, um, growing up. Uh, but all, all those scenes are really special, I think. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think that, and, and the, but the context we've talked about in which they play into her being older. Um, and yeah, and we haven't talked about the, the farming stuff, nature stuff as much, but I think we hit on like it in relation to her and, to- and Toshio. Um, I don't know any other characters, Michelle, from, um, we haven't talked about you've thoughts on. Uh, no, not that I can really think of. I feel like. For a while, she had like that group of like three ish girls who were her friends, but I don't think we got a lot of one on one time with any of them. I feel like they were all like relatively like strongish relationships of hers as a 10 year old, but I don't think she had like a super standout best friend or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, a random, random note to one thing I'll, I'll throw in at the end here is from Susan Napier. Uh, when Taiko returns to the country at the end of the film, she vows not to bring her fifth grade self with her. This can be read as a desire to be liberated from the selfish individual self and become part of a richer communal fabric. Um, so I think this movie is another entry into our supportive collective, even though it's not mm. a zombie film. Um, I, I, I see that. Kind of her choosing, uh, going away from the individualistic life uh, in the city maybe the capitalistic life and going to the communal supportive uh, socialist type of life in the countryside, uh, which she's embracing very much in theme with these other Miyazaki movies we're talking about. It's still nice though. Cause like when she's in the country, you get the sense that she's still going to be her own boss. Whereas when she was in Tokyo, she was just like a peon. She was just like an employee for an office that had like a quota that she needed to fulfill. So like, I feel like, you don't lose track of like the fact that it's still like on her terms very much. And she'll be in maybe a lot more direct control of her life being in the country too. Even if like, you know, she's not alone, like she's still going to be independent in this, in a way that she can, you know, call her own shots still, which like, I feel like many of us can't really do that in our day to day job. So a little of that is aspirational, I guess. Yeah, I, I hope I hope that's what she's found, she finds in the countryside. Yeah, I think that's a big appealing nature of it. Too. I think the movie presents that. Uh, Delaney, any anything else from only yesterday? Any final thoughts? I will say I think I'm um, I'm more on board. No, after the discourse. After the, after the discourse. <laughs> a little more sold. Okay. Uh, you will we'll look forward to you revisiting it in five years. Yeah, in five years. Five years time. <laughs> that's how it works with this type of movie. Yeah. Okay. That that's good. Um. And I think th- I think you uh definitely brought a first time only yesterday viewer perspective to the to the to the table here, which mm-hmm. I think is is good. I'm interested if other people are watching it for the first time had similar experiences to Delaney, how people interpret it, like the romance, because I know I've like I think we we interpret it differently. I've seen a lot of people interpret that differently. Love to see uh comments from everyone about that. Michelle, any other final thoughts? It's a good movie. I'm I'm really glad they made it to our movie all about a lady. I that's always great. Please make more. <laughs> yes. Retweet. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, what's the next Studio Ghibli one in this vein? I mean, um, when you said that she's the oldest protagonist, I'm like, except for Howl's kind of. Yes, <laughs> like, <laughs> kind of. No, Sophie's aging 22, <laughs> and her aging into grandma is not like mental aging, so it does not count, though. She's, she's, she's visually grandma, No, no, though. no, it's <laughs> Well, yeah. What's what's the next uh, movie like this? I mean, we'll see what Ocean Waves is. I don't really. I've seen it, but I don't I remember as much. Ocean Waves. I've no. Yeah, idea. no one's seen Ocean Waves, because so we're getting close you to. You couldn't find it online. That's why. If, uh, yeah, only this movie is at all comparable to you not being able to find. Yeah, Ocean exactly. Waves, yeah. That's that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess a whisper of the heart is uh, in the vein of this movie of uh, uh, a girl's experience, not a woman, but a girl's experiences and her reflecting on her life and stuff. I think I think uh, there's a lot of stuff yeah. we could talk about. Because like Spirited Away is much more like Kiki in that it's like a coming of age story for sure. Yeah, and I do I do think Kiki, we didn't talk as much about the Kiki similarity or yeah Kiki similarities to this. I think we we contrasted it with we talked about Kiki's network of women a lot. Kiki interacted with a ton of women. Oh in this yeah, movie there. she she does interact. Yeah, with this a lot is of like the opposite. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah which I think you know the city to have a grand life, and she goes to the country to have a grand life. Yes. Well, they're going in opposite direct. Yeah, it's interesting. But it's but both, both on their own terms. That's what's important. Yeah, maybe finding similar things. Yeah, finding uh, the, the agency at different times of their life. They are um, both extremely grumpy little girls. Yes, relatable. <laughs> relatable, okay. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, let it, let us know any thoughts. You guys had it only yesterday. Find all the ways to comment or contact us at overlyanimated.com. Uh, consider supporting us on Patreon if you enjoyed this. Uh, Patreon.com slash OverlyAnimated. Thanks to all our current patrons, especially our patron of the podcast, Phonition. And thanks as well to our patron executive producers, Ryan, Steve, Alex, Beatrice, Hugh, Michael, Needle, and Phonition. Um, next up, back to Miyazaki for Porco Rosso. Probably a very different movie Ooh. from this one. Maybe, maybe we'll find similarities. I don't know. But, Way more uh, airplanes than this movie. Yeah, no, you can tell it's not a Miyazaki movie because there's no airplanes in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Only a train. Um, this is Kiki. This is a train in Kiki. There you go. Uh, and a dirigible. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they have the whole yeah. Hindenburg in uh, Kiki. Yeah, not, not here. Not here, though. But yeah, we'll not get, here. we'll be, we'll be talking Porco Rosso next week and then the highly anticipated Ocean Waves podcast. <laughs> highly <week after>. anticipated. <laughs> I hope. My, I highly anticipated by me. Okay, I'll good. I'll say that one. No pressure on that one. I don't think I'll find in much, much, uh, many articles on ocean waves to cite. So I think we can just talk about it. Anyway, okay. Thanks, guys, for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.